Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I have been serving in the local church, you know, in, in some capacity most of my life, but as far as like pastoral ministry, I, I started in the summer of 2005 uh, and have been serving in the church in some type of leadership pastoral role ever since then. And in those 18 years, coming in on 20 years, uh, you know, I've learned about this ministry that it's, it's the best of times and worst of times. Uh, it's honestly the best job in the world that I can't imagine not having, and some days I can't imagine coming in. Uh, and honestly, it's both of those things, full send all the time. But I, I get to, because I'm a pastor, and other, other people who have served in ministry know this, there's a benefit of just doors being open in relationship where I get to share life with you in a way that's just unusual. Like you don't call your dentist and ask your dentist to come and be there to celebrate, you know, the birth of a child. It's just not what happens. But in my career, I get doors open all the time to just in the most joyous, cool, awesome fun moments of life. I'm there, uh, you know, again, when when children are born, not like when they're born, but shortly after. Uh, (laughs) Thankfully. Um, I'm there for the milestones, for dedications. One of my favorite things is to lay hands and pray over kids whose parents are dedicating their child to the Lord. I'm there at the wedding. I get to do wedding ceremonies. I'm, I'm there, again, when more babies come along. And it's just incredible to get opportunity into people's lives. And it's not just like milestones and these, these you know, watermark moments. It's even the everyday stuff. As a pastor, I get invited in. Like, I, I see Dan here. We have, I went for a ride-along with you as a police officer. That was cool. I've been on commercial fishing boats. I've been in executive boardrooms that I had no business being there, but some, somebody from our church says, hey, come watch me do what I do. And I get to do that. I get to share in your enjoyments, like your hobbies. I've been introduced to all kinds of things. I I love fly fishing because some people in our church took me out and showed me all about it. Just a couple weeks ago, I was flipped over the shoulder of a 250-pound Ukrainian as he showed me the art of (laughs) jujitsu. It's like like every day is take your pastor to work day, it seems like. like, Show me how to do a rear naked choke, so watch out. If you find yourself falling asleep in church, I'm going to come really wake you up. All right, But it's been cool as a pastor to see just the adventures, and God's been so good, and my family's been so blessed. Like, I, I don't know, some, some kids who grew up as pastor's kids, like, it wasn't the funnest time, but I think mostly the, the kids at our church, anyway, I'll speak for my own and some of the other pastor's families, like, we just get blessed by you. It's such an incredible part, like, such an incredible blessing to be a pastor and to serve the local church. However, with that blessing has come a great burden. And as easily as those channels of communication and relationship open up for the great joys of life, I've also been there for some of the darkest, hardest days of your lives. And carry that burden with you, and I've wept with you, and I've been there in the hospital room. And I've been there when there was nothing to be said. And I'll tell you what, it's a terrible, helpless feeling when people look at you as a pastor and say, say something, and you got nothing other than your presence. And I've been there at the funerals. I've been there saying goodbye and looking for answers from, a God, from God for people who have gone on to be with him far too young. Like, it's, it's one of those things. Like, as easily as the joys of pastoring come my way, also the burdens. And I, I want to say, I say this to say, 
I have noticed in the days that we are currently living through a volume and complexity of problems that are being faced by our congregation and our families, uh, the likes of which I've never seen in my lifetime. Uh, It seems as though there is a compound effect of stress that we are collectively living through right now with instability and disorder and dysfunction and fears and anxiety. Like, it's at an all-time high. I I see it. I watch it. I feel it. I walk with you. Not only do I have my own, but as a pastor, again, I get a window into some of the things that you are dealing with. And I will say, I have come to the conclusion that we as believers and we as the people of God, like never before, at least in my lifetime, have been presented with more problems and seemingly less ability to to come up with solutions than ever before. Does that resonate with anybody? Like it just seems like as you go through life, it just seems like, oh, that's a big problem, and that's a big problem, and that's a big problem, and someone should do something about that. And it seems like this compound effect, compound interest of just anxiety and problems in our world is at an all-time high, and we're walking in it, and there's a frequency to it that's just unlike anything. Never before... I've never seen us live through so many problems and simultaneously have so few solutions. Does that that resonate and land with you? I mean, we have the problems in our society. I mean, division, wild ideas and ideology. I mean, we live in a time where two plus two is not only four, not only not four, but to say two plus two is racist. Like, we, we live in just the most unhinged times where it's having unimaginable effects on people. And we're we're starting to see the disastrous uh, fallout of just the times we live in, where depression, anxiety, addiction, divorce, despair, suicide are at all-time highs. And I just, we look around this world and we just say, God, do something. I say that to get in mind uh, just the burden and need. And I want to talk about the burden and need of our day because I want to give you one idea today. And I really feel like this is on the heart of God. And here it is. This is my whole sermon on one slide. Now, I'm going to go beyond one slide, but here it is. Certain types of problems call for a certain type of power that requires a certain type of prayer. That there are some problems in this world. There are, there are problems that just the only answer is a power greater than what we have. And to see that power move requires the people of God to engage in a certain type of prayer. I want to break this down for a few minutes. I want to look at this in two sections. I want to talk for a minute about the problems we're facing and the need for power and then our role in it. Are you with me? So let's talk for a second. The problems, a certain type of problems that require a certain type of power. In our story, we find Jesus performs this miracle where he sets free a, young, a boy who had been possessed by a demon. And I mean, it was dramatic and traumatic. And yet this isn't so much about Jesus's authority over the demonic, but it gives us clues into God's heart for you and I as his people to see his power move on our behalf. And it's to this I want to look. Let's get a little bit of context. We find a man waiting for Jesus at the bottom of the mountain that Jesus had gone up. And there's a great crowd there. And we are told that this man brings his son 
before Jesus and lays him before Jesus to try to get help that he has not been able to find anywhere else. Now, we're told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke this exact story. And if you want to go home and get kind of the 3D picture of it, read all three because they all include different details. And I'll be drawn from some of that today. But in a nutshell, we find a father who is absolutely desperate and he's been unable to get freedom and help for his child. His child, as we're told, has seizures. Other translations say epilepsy. But we're told that the root of it isn't so much physiological, but it's spiritual. And that there is a demonic component to this that is causing the child to throw himself in the water and in fires. So he has a spirit of suicide. There is a suicidal spirit that has gripped this child, and the father is desperate. And any parents here who know when your child is entertaining suicidal ideation, the desperation that comes, you're so helpless. And this father had looked all over the place for solutions. We don't know. We're not told the backstory, but we know this. The father told Jesus in one of the Gospels that he'd been, this kid had been struggling from birth. His whole life he'd had this go on, from, from a young age, it says, and we're told that this father was despairing that this, the child was going to destroy himself. And so it's with this background, and then we can, we can infer and we can come to understand that clearly the dad had tried everything. I mean, the whole, his whole life this child had been struggling with this, and the father had found no solutions to this problem. He at this point, every person he went to was powerless to actually deal with a problem this big. And it's in this context we find a man completely out of options when it comes to what is plaguing his child. And I think you don't have to go far to think about how that pertains to our day. And the way that this generation, the Gen Z, the way that young people today are being plagued and tormented, not just by the, the, a spirit of addiction and division or even despair and anxiety, but suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts are at an all-time high. And it's with this in mind and it's this backdrop that this man comes and brings, Jesus, brings his son to Jesus, but it's important to note he first brought them to his disciples, and the disciples couldn't do anything. Now, we're not told what they tried. We don't know. All we know is, if you've been reading Matthew, they once were told by Jesus, I'm going to send you out. You're going to have the ability to cast out demons. And they went out, and to their surprise and joy, they said, even the demons listened to us. And they couldn't believe it. And they come back all excited about their, the way they were casting out demons, and yet they encounter a problem here that was bigger than their ability to deal with it. And I'll tell you, this is another sermon for another day, but the devil has trapped the church a lot of times into being overly committed to what used to work. We'll do that another time. But here's the scenario. The disciples are powerless. The world is powerless. This is a problem that only Jesus can solve. And Jesus, we find, is annoyed. This is not happy Jesus. This is not hippie Jesus. Just sing a kumbaya, flower power. It's not, we're, this is angry Jesus. You unbelieving and perverse generation, he says. Uh, I love how Eugene Peterson translates it. It's like, you have no sense of God in this world. 
You're unbelieving. Your belief is not first and foremost in God. You're looking to medicine and you're looking to self-help and you're looking to your, your shrink and your therapist and you're looking to this and that. And he's saying, you should have come to me first, is what he's saying. You wicked and perverse generation, you have no sense of God. You have to wake up and realize that some problems can only be solved by the hand of God. And there are problems that we face in this world. And I've been feeling like, and I just I want to push this on you, King's Church, today. Because God has been like just divinely disrupting me. I would even say almost to the point of irritation. Where he has been gnawing at me at how quickly I look to other things to solve my problems. For example, uh, I'll scroll Apple News on my iPad to kind of get a picture of what's going on in the world. And if you're like me, you'll scroll it for a few minutes and you'll find yourself getting angry, maybe anxious, maybe annoyed. Anybody else in church, you're just judging me now. <laughs> yeah, you, you just find that, that, that feeling rise up. You're like, God, man, if we could only have like a, a new prime minister, do not amen. If we could only have, like, don't do it. Look, we got liberals in here, too. They're going to get mad, so. Uh, look, no, but it's, I'm, I'm poking fun here, but I felt the Lord convict me because, like, I, okay, just full stop. This one's not being live streamed. Um, I get real annoyed at our current government, um, just personally, and, and to the point of anger. And, and I'll find myself with that anger, though, Wishing and hoping just for a, a new person to take over parliament and better policy and all that. And I'm all for that. But the Lord has been just pushing me and saying, another human prime minister is not going to change the problems of Canada. And a different, a different party in power is not going to fix things. There are deeper issues at work. And you, son, Brent, pastor of King's Church, need to be the first person to see through the guise of human solutions that are inadequate to deal with the deeper problems of our day. And this is ultimately what's going at. This is ultimately, hang on. This is what Jesus is so annoyed by. He's like, you, you guys of all people should have come to me first. We don't know what they did. We could have fun. That's probably a dangerous game to infer too much that what the Bible doesn't, doesn't include. But all we know is Jesus saying, you wicked and perverse generation, like you have no sense of God in this world and you are continuing to look to human solutions to solve problems that only God can solve. And this is really what I feel like the Spirit of God is saying to the church today. And that is this, that human ability and ingenuity Human excellence, it's all too small and too insufficient to meet the needs of our day. Like, let, let the Spirit of God just, like, dust off. And y'all, let me just say this in fear and trembling, as a product of the 21st century West, I am thankful. I grew up here. I'm thankful. Never one day I didn't have a home over my head. I never worried that I wasn't going to have a meal. But there is a malaise that our affluence has caused where we start to think that we have the means and the ability to solve problems we have no ability to solve. And the church has got to wake up to the fact that there are things we need to see happen in our day that only God can fix. Our only hope is the work of God and what we need, and I want to talk about this for a couple minutes, what we need in St. John what we need in New Brunswick, what we need in Atlantic Canada, what we need across this nation from sea to sea is an awakening. Like people 
having a revelation that there is a God, his name is Jesus, he died for my sins, and if I turn my life to him, I can have new and eternal life now and forevermore. Like, we need a sweeping move of God across this country. We need awakening. What do I mean by awakening? Let me talk about it for a minute. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, just awaken our imagination today. Awakening is an event that has happened consistently and periodically throughout the history of the church. It is when the power of God moves upon a region in a special way, turning multitudes back to him. Now, we believe that the church is called to be faithful in every season. And we stand here on the shoulders, not just of large moves of God, but also on centuries of faithful believers who refuse to give up on the faith, even in the darkest days where they wonder, where are you, God? However, if you trace back the history of the Christian church for 2,000 years, it is basically like a pearl necklace being formed together by little pearls of awakening every so often, every 50, 100, 200, 500 years, you will see God move in this supernatural, unprecedented, undeniable, powerful way where he just seems to pour himself out in a special manner that supersedes all of the efforts, not just of man, but even of the church. Like I, one of my favorite parts when I read about awakening and revival is like the ordinary people that God just decides to pour his spirit out on. Like very rarely do you find somebody who is quite remarkable. Usually it's just a normal pastor on a normal Sunday preaching a normal sermon and then God just decides now. And all of a sudden, his spirit just drops and the church just repents and the power of God starts flowing through in an unusual way. And you can see that happen all throughout Christian history. You can see it in the scripture. You can see it all through the, the, the just beyond scripture, even throughout history. You see it. That's how the church started, was through awakening. Pentecost was an awakening. It was a moment where God poured out his spirit on the 120 people who stayed in the upper room. And then what happened? The Spirit of God got a hold of these 120. They left the upper room. They went out into the street. And Peter, the same guy who just moments before had tried his hand at preaching and did not have these results, goes out. He preaches a sermon. You can read it in Acts chapter 2. It is certainly not politically correct. It's not a polished message. But he just basically gets up and says, repent and turn to God. And 3,000 people, because God's presence just pressed in on them, their response was, what must we do to be saved? God just gripped their hearts. It actually says in, in Acts, he pierced their hearts. And it says on day two, same thing happened. 2,000 people, 5,000 people in two days in the city of Jerusalem added to the, to the church of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't because of the eloquence of Peter. It wasn't because of the strategy and programming of the, of the early church. It was simply because of an unusual outpouring of the power of God on their behalf. No other explanation for it. And then you watch that pour into an awakening. You see it turn from 2,000 or 3,000 to 5,000 to several thousand to, to dozens of thousands to hundreds of thousands, which by the year 250, you start to see the whole Roman Empire being converted. This is the only time in Roman history and even in the history of Jerusalem where there was a change of power that didn't happen through war, bloodshed, and coercion. It happened through conversion, where the, the masses came to believe that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. 
Even Caesar himself came to believe that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. That's an awakening. And this is what we need to see in our day, like, like it happened 500 years ago during the Reformation, like what happened in the 1700s under the First Great Awakening with John Wesley and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and the multitudes of people that came into the kingdom simply because God said, I've heard the cry of my people, now is the time. We need another awakening. We need an awakening in our day. We need to see multitudes come to Christ. What happens when an awakening comes? First, there's three things. Just imagine this for a moment. When God does this supernatural work, first you see the revitalization and renewal of the church. It's a revival of a dead-hearted church, maybe a lethargic church. God grips the heart of his people. Here, I've come to learn this. I felt God say this to me for about 10 years now. Brent, revival has to come to the church before it flows through the church. Right? Is that right? This is, this is, so this is what happens. When awakening comes, first it begins with a revitalization and renewal of the church. So our prayer right now, first and foremost, starts with God, pour your presence out deeper and more in us. And you start to see the, the fruit of it is corporate, individual, and familial wholeness. That there's a life and vitality and holiness that comes when God does a special work like this. That's what happens. And then... Here's the beautiful part of it. An awakening, when God just moves in power like that, grips the heart of the church and fills us fresh, that filling pours over. And it's designed to pour over into the streets. And what what you start to see is the evangelization of a generation. It went from the upper room into the streets of Jerusalem, and you saw it run through that whole generation and to be transformed in Jesus' name. And then ultimately what happens... When a critical mass in society gets converted, is you start to see the radical transformation of society. Oh, that we would see that. Y'all, again, back to my earlier point. Like imagine, imagine with me and, and, and contend with me even with this, but imagine in the next like 18 months in, in Canada, we saw, let's just say, let's say a million. We saw a million young people between the ages of 18 and 30 just just absolutely throw their lives at Jesus. Like imagine what a million young people that it then pours out and it turns into their families get absolutely just, just full of God in their homes and in their house. Like imagine in, in Canada, we're almost 40 million people now, is that correct? Like 38 million people in Canada, somewhere in that range. Imagine if 15 million people in a year just converted over to Jesus. Like, Beyond just the, woohoo, that's cool. Like, imagine the effects on society, right? Like, what would that do to crime? What would that do to homelessness? What would that do to the problems that are, frankly, God bless our civil servants and our mayors and our people who serve on council. They are unable to solve some of these problems. They can only just try to manage them. But imagine when the hearts and minds of the masses change. Changes everything. So you can't legislate morality, but God can change a heart and give people a heart of flesh. And this is what happens when awakening comes. And this is what we need in our day. Like, I, I'm pressing this on you, and I feel like the Spirit wants our church in this hour to wake up to our desperate need for awakening. 
Like, we cannot be satisfied, one, with the solutions proposed by secular ideas. Look, I'm all for therapy. I'm all for self-care. It's not good enough. Come on. I'm all for good policy and good politicians. It's not good enough. I'm all for technology. I love Apple products, but it's not good enough. I'm all for green energy, but it's not good enough. Like we need the power of God poured out over the masses in our day. And y'all, we as the church, and this is what I, I want to plant a seed of longing in you. And I feel like the Spirit is saying now is the time to start contending in prayer for this. Like to really start leaning in and saying, God, if we don't have awakening, we are sunk. Look, society is failing Let me say something even deeper. The church is failing. Like churches are closing en masse across the country. I am thankful that our church is full, but you know what? That represents a greater problem. And that is that there are so many dead and lethargic and dying churches out there, and we are dying at a rate far too quick to meet the needs that are being presented upon us right now. And we, the people of God, right now, have got to realize we live in a time that's never had more knowledge, more resource, more ability, more medicine, more technology, and never had less ability to deal with the big problems of life. And the people of God have got to wake up to this. We've got to wake up and start contending for changed hearts, changed minds, changed lives that would change the world. E.M. Bounds famously said, the church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. God is looking for people whose hearts are after them. And we, the people of God right now, like I I feel like Jesus was so ticked off at his disciples particularly because like, guys, you brought a knife to a gunfight. What are you doing? You you had no chance against that guy. I don't know what you're doing. You're standing on your head. You're inciting prayers. You're putting the cross on their forehead and saying the power of Christ compels you. This kid was far too bound for your ability. You needed a higher power. And I feel like that's what God is saying to the church right now. Like, we have got to come out of our self-assurance and self-sufficiency and start to realize that unless God moves in our day, we're going to lose a generation. We're going to lose the great things that have been built in this nation. We have got to see God move on our behalf. Okay, so what do we do? What's our role? I said it like this. Again, my whole point is that there are certain problems that call for a certain type of power. And let me just press this on you. Like, Like, what are areas in your life right now where you have been just going about it all wrong? Where God is like, yeah, look, stop griping about your spouse and start praying for them. Oh, I step on someone's toes right there. Someone go, ow! My own, right? Like, my wife does that about me, right? She, She prays for me. This is, this is the key. Stop griping about your politicians and start praying for them. Stop. You're not going to meme your way to a better society. <laughs> right? I know some of you are meme warriors and there's some really funny ones out there, but it's not really changing minds. All it's doing, you know what the internet's doing? It's just reinforcing people's opinions. Nobody's mind ever got changed because they went on the internet. It's perfectly designed to just tell you what you already want to hear. We need something better. We need renewed minds. 
We need God to transform minds and hearts. We need transformation of society. And so here's what our job is. Whether it's for society, whether it's for your marriage, whether it's for your kids, there is a certain type of prayer that moves the hand of God. So you're saying, oh, Pastor Ren, is there, is there more than one type of prayer? Yes. You can pray in your head. You can sing and pray. You can reflect and pray. You, you can, a big portion of prayer for your life is just listening. How many know that's true? Like a huge portion of your prayer life should be you shut up. <laughs> be still and know that he is God. There is also a type of prayer, however, that the people of God employ that moves the heart and power of God. There's a certain type of prayer, and Jesus was talking about this. Look what, look what he said. Like he said, you don't have, you do not have, you know, you're, you're not aware of God, but you, you wicked and perverse generation. And he goes on, he says, here's why you couldn't do it. Your faith was off. You had, you, you, your faith was in the wrong place. You had, you had little faith. He's implying little faith in him, by the way. How many of you know everybody has faith? Everybody has faith. Every human being, uh, even says in the Bible, everyone's been given a measure of faith. Everybody believes in something. You might be a person who, you know, you get that friend who's like, I don't believe in anything. Well, you believe there's nothing. You believe in something. Everybody's got faith. But he says the the type of faith you have is, is problematic. He goes on and he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, like faith in me, that will lead to the ability, that will lead to mountains moving. Impossibility will become nothing. So Jesus is calling into question the aim of their faith, and then watch this. This is in, a lot of your translations have this. Some of them don't. There's dispute in some of the earliest manuscripts, but this, this is actually backed up if you read Mark and Luke as well. This is the same message that Jesus was giving, that there is a type of prayer and posture that the people of God have to employ that really beseeches God and moves his heart and power. He said this type, he's talking about the way that this kid was bound only comes out with prayer and fasting. Now, why does he pin prayer and fasting together? Because prayer and fasting is a type of prayer. It's a physical prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of desperation. It's a prayer of tears. It's a prayer that you've actually thrown your body at. That's what he's getting at. It's that type of prayer that Jesus is getting at. Two things I think I want you to hear in this. If you're, if you're losing, I'll try to get a little clearer. The prayer that moves God, and you, you just take this to the bank in your life. The prayer that moves God, first and foremost, is rightly aimed. Jesus said, if you just had a mustard seed of faith in me, could have happened. But you had a lot of faith in the wrong thing, and it didn't happen. Does that make sense? Like, uh, in church circles, and you might have heard this, and it's very destructive, very dangerous. You might have heard, you just got to have more faith. Actually, God isn't after more faith so much as he's after accurate faith. You know what I'm saying? Do you know the difference? Like, you can have a lot of faith in the wrong thing. So Jesus says, if you just have a little bit of faith in me, you can accomplish a lot. So that's what he's saying, the rightly aimed faith. This is why I'm, I'm harping on this today. I want, I feel like the Spirit is waking our church up to the fact that we have got to start increasing our faith and desire in God to see him do something in our region in our day. We've got to place our faith like, is it the grace of God in our lives to bring us to the end of solutions that can't actually solve the problems we need solved? Do you hear me what I said there? Like, is it, is it, could it be God's grace 
to bring you to the end of all of the problems that can't actually fix what needs to be fixed anyway. Like you went to all the counselors. You did the financial planning. You went and consulted this person or that person, even the pastor. I don't care, but Jesus is is calling us to come into this place where we realize our only hope is God. That our faith is exclusively and accurately placed in him. This is what that father did. He laid his boy before Jesus. It's rightly aimed. Maybe uh, N.T. Wright will help make sense of this even better than I can. He said it like this in his commentary. He said, the secret, of course, is that the size of the faith isn't important. What's important is the God in whom you believe. Where is your faith? If you want to see the moon, the size of the window you're looking through isn't important. What matters is that it's facing the right direction. Correct? A tiny slit in the wall will do if the moon is on that side of the house. A huge window facing the wrong direction will be no good at all. That's what true faith is like. The smallest prayer, the mustard seed prayer to the one true God will produce great things. The most elaborate devotions to a God of your own making or indeed someone else's, will be useless or worse. So we have to have right-aimed faith. I'm going to be done in a second, but we also have to have faith that's rightly applied, prayer that's rightly applied. We need to start aiming our prayers more squarely at God, that God would do something in our day, but there is a way that we pray, and this is what Jesus was getting at when he said, it's prayer and fasting that moves the heart of God. There's this certain kind of prayer a visceral, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some of you folks uncomfortable, just get ready. A physical, an emotional type of prayer that moves the heart of God. That something happens when we allow ourselves to come into full feeling of the weight of the burden and we in desperate surrender And yet in bold faith, go before God and say, God, if you don't heal this boy, he has no hope. It's that type of prayer. It's it's the prayer, uh, Dr. David Thomas, that I got to sit under his teaching in Kentucky a couple weeks ago. He called it travailing prayer. It's the prayer of tears. It's the prayer where you feel in your gut and you say with your mouth and you apply with your body your desperation and your faith that God would do something that you can't do yourself. It's that type of prayer. Travailing prayer is desperate, physical, visceral, humble prayer. It's a prayer of tears. And David Thomas said, and this stuck with me, and I've been so convicted by this. He said, the Bible is utterly unfamiliar with casual prayer. And I have been so convicted that I will pray for things. And I felt the Lord say, Brent, you're consistent in prayer, but you're far too casual. You're way too laissez-faire. You're way too lethargic in how you contend for things that should, that you say matter to you. Tell your face, right? Oh, I'm happy. Tell your face. I want to see revival. Tell your face. Tell your prayers. What in your life leads you to pray the prayer of tears? Now, some of you are like, what are you talking about? Like, this is biblical. If you look through the scripture, you see it in Hebrews. What did God say to Moses at the burning bush? Some of you remember the story. He says, 
I have heard the cries of my people. Like I've heard their voice. They have given voice to their desperate need. You saw it with Hannah going before the Lord and in tears crying out to God about her barrenness that God would give her a child. Again, it's that prayer of tears. It's Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. You you remember the story where he calls down fire. You can miss this detail, but it says he knelt down to the ground. He put his head between his knees. That's a picture of how women gave birth in those days. It's like he was giving birth, and he cries out to God, and he says, God, turn the hearts of these people back to you. Show this day that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is a, there is a component of groaning in prayer that we have got to get in and lock in with. We come into agreement with the Spirit of God that groans in prayer, and when you and I groan in prayer, we are coming into alignment with the God who wants to do something that we can't do ourselves. Jesus did it. In Gethsemane, do you remember? In anguish, he prayed. He sweat like drops of blood, crying out to God. Paul, to the Galatians. I just, I just spent time studying the book of Galatians. He said in Galatians 4, I travail in prayer as though in childbirth that Christ would be formed in you. Like I'm feeling that burden. And so, so what am I saying to you? I'm saying this, like I find often that the prayer that most moves God has to move me. You hear me? How can we ask God to move in a way that we ourselves aren't willing to even feel the weight of? See, what moves God is when we're moved to see God move. That made sense. Say it back in your head. (laughs) What moves God is when we're moved to see God move. And I just want to say, we have got to learn how to pray in this hour. What, is it, what does it look like? What does this travailing prayer look like? Well, it's humble, and yet it's desperate. You know, like Jesus really, really hated the Pharisees and how they acted. And in particular, he called them out on how they pray. You know, wanting to be seen. and let, hear, hear how loud I can raise my voice, and hear how, how eloquent I can be with my words. And Jesus did not have any time for that. This type of prayer is a prayer that doesn't care who sees. You hear me? doesn't want to be seen, doesn't care if it's seen. And I don't think a lot of us, at least in our church context, maybe some, but most of us don't struggle with wanting to get up and pray so that people can think us so spiritual. But a lot of us struggle, though, not wanting to pray because we're too, we're too embarrassed. We can't go there. We can't, we can't show that kind of emotion. I'm a man. I stand and I worship like this. Look, I think God's calling us out to learn how to come after him and contend in prayer. To actually go to bat and go to battle. It's, it's amazing to me how, how lethargic we can be praying for the things that matter most in this whole world. I think God is calling us to wake up, to learn how to pray. I'll just say, I'll say this with, with just pastoral love, but also a firm push. Like, and I'm, I'm part of the group. I've been learning and on a journey, but we... The Atlantic Canadian Church have got to learn how to pray out loud. We've got to learn to pray with our bodies. We've got to tell the fear of man where to go. There's some dads that need to show their kids that it's okay to cry for some things. That some things have to move me. And look, I've seen, I've seen, like the Western church is particularly bad at praying. 
You say, some of you are like, you can be good at praying? Yes. Yes, there is a way to pray. And it has nothing to do with words. It has everything to do with tears and feeling and passion and emotion. It's in your gut. Sometimes you can't even get words out. That's why God's given you the gift of tongues. It's to verbalize what the Spirit is uttering and groaning. That, that's, like, I, I was, I, I've prayed with brothers and sisters in Haiti, and I've seen what it looks like when people don't give a crap what you think. They got too big a needs to worry about whether they look dignified or not, and they're getting after it. I've seen it. I've seen it. Look, y'all, we got, we got brothers and sisters here from Nigeria, from Africa, that grew up in a different context than us, that weren't so affluent and didn't have, couldn't go write a check or, or meet their needs, and they had to learn to call on God and cry out to him. And y'all, we have got to wake up to the desperate need of the hour and a need that big, a need as big as a generation going to hell requires that we feel it. And, and we pray, and we contend, and we seek. It's desperate with no pretense and much passion, but it's also aggressive. Jesus said that the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. We grab it. It's, it's, it's violent. It's active. It's, it, we, are, we are actively grabbing a hold of the promises of God. We're taking God at his word. Y'all, we've seen it happen already. We've seen it. Like back in, the, back in the winter, you remember we did the Family Matters series, those of you who are here? And we passed out a thousand names of our kids. And you prayed for them every day. You circled their name. I pray for Ava Ingersoll every single day. Y'all, we saw more people at the next baptism between the ages of like 8 and 20 get baptized than we ever had before. Why? Because we had the audacity to ask God over and over, God, reach our children. And we said them by name. And we prayed it out loud and we kept pounding the ground and saying, we will not stop praying until we know you've heard us and until you do what we can't do for these kids. Like I, I, have, this, uh, I have this mug. I'm going to close. David, you come back if you're here and play piano so they know. Um, <laughs> this mug was given to me by my friend Jen. Uh, I got one and Dan got one and uh, Anthony got one uh, because we walked really close with Jen through a battle with cancer. Uh, she, was, she was given a, a brutal diagnosis, brutal diagnosis, and had a brutal uh, road through that illness. And yet throughout it, uh, all four of us felt very strongly that the Lord would have us just consistently, like every week, and some weeks she was so sick, she'd drag herself here, and we'd come around her, and we'd pray. We felt God just say, I, I want you to just keep striking the ground. And we prayed that over her. And she had this engraved in my mug. You can't really see it, but it's 2 Kings 13. And it's where Elisha told the king of Israel to strike the ground prophetically over and over and over so that God would give them the victory. And so we did that and we said, God, we're just going to keep striking the ground. And we're going to take you at your word. And we're going to pray audacious, bold prayers. And we believe that you are a healer. You have healed. You can heal. And we're calling you to heal our sister. And we watched. It wasn't instantaneous. I wish it was. I wish it was that simple that we could have just said, thank you, Lord, and bam, she was healed. But you know what happened? Over the winter, we kept praying and kept striking the ground, and we were seeing her get better little by little by little by little. And we kept asking. The, the, the cool thing was, too, and God was teaching us this, that once we started to see some health happen, we felt it was important that we actually cranked up what we were asking for. Okay, God, we've seen that you've given her some comfort, but now we're going beyond asking that you would give her comfort to give her full healing. 
And we're asking, Lord, that every cell of cancer in her body be gone in Jesus' name. And we kept pounding on that for the better part of a year. And uh, this past uh, spring, late spring, she was given a diagnosis that a year prior would have been utterly impossible. It, It baffled doctors. She had zero cancer in her body. And I tell you that story. I tell you that story. Not so much, and I feel like the Lord wants me to say it like this, like not so much to tell you and remind you that the Lord is a healer, although he is, but that we have a part to play in seeing him move on our behalf. And I've been convicted since then, like how many times have I let off the gas when I needed to, I needed to press it down harder? And I just needed to keep swinging. And I'm saying that for some of you parents who are praying for your kid. Like you resonate way too much with that dad bringing his kid before the Lord. And you've been praying Mom, dad, keep laying your child before the feet of Jesus every single day until Jesus raises him up or raises her up. I don't care if he's 40 or 60. You keep bringing him there and you keep striking the ground. That's what this type of prayer is. It's, it's prayer that will, demands an answer from God. Just says, God, I will not stop striking the ground until I see you do what only you can do. It's that type of prayer. It's aggressive, it's audacious, it's physical, and it's audible. And so let me ask you today, what makes you cry? Or maybe a better question, what should make you cry? And then I'd follow that up with, what are you doing with those tears? Are you hoping on hope? Are you hoping for a new election? Are you hoping for this or that? Or... Are you bringing those burdens in deliberate, convicted, convicted, convinced prayer before a God who can do the impossible? What are you doing with what makes you cry? And I felt like the Lord just trying to highlight for us today, as I'm going to close, there are certain types of problems that you are facing, hear me that just need the hand of God on your behalf. There are things that God has put in our power to solve for ourselves, amen? I don't think God blesses laziness. I think God, like, if, you, if he's given you the grace and the ability to solve a problem, he's like, do it. But we, the people of God, have got to wake up in this hour and realize that human solutions cannot solve God-sized problems, and we have got to start contending. We need to start contending for a generation to come to know Jesus. We need to start contending for awakening in Atlantic Canada. Can I get an amen? amen. Y'all, we need to start contending for our families. I've been convicted of that. Like, and I've just been hammering the last few weeks just my kids by name. I've been, I've been out on the train tracks and my dog thinks I'm a psychopath. <laughs> I'm just naming everything. I'm covering them. My kids will be prayed for by me. And I will see the faithfulness of God in their lives. I will see it. Get out of here, you stupid fuck. (laughs) Here's a question to ask yourself. Am I truly bringing my burdens to Jesus in prayer? Let me just say, because I'm talking to me here. I, I know there's a difference in how I pray at times. I felt the Lord just say, you're too casual on things that are way too important to be casual. 
And there are some things that demand a response from me. If I am demanding a response from him, it requires a response from me. And there are things I need to learn how to go to war over. Again, some of you like have an unbelieving spouse. You are not going to convert them. But your prayers and your tears over them remember a story about uh, St. Augustine. You've heard of him, St. Augustine. He wrote Confessions, one of the greatest thinkers in the church ever. And uh, if you've read Confessions, you know that guy was like the waywardest of wayward sons, like just a wild man. And his mother was a believer, and his mother was like a bit of, she was that lady in church that pastors just see, and they go, whoop, I'm she was like that, I'm gonna, I ain't gotta get prayer. And like she, I don't do that to you, other pastors do. <laughs> but she's like, I gotta get prayer. And uh, she kept pestering her priest to come and meet and bless and pray over her wayward son. And the, the priest finally, uh, just annoyed, just gets fed up and he said to her, and this is the quote, and, and Augustine talked about it, said to his mom, leave me alone, go in peace, it cannot be that the son of all these tears should be lost. Your tears are liquid prayer. When they, when they are directed at the Almighty, and when you say, God, you have got to intervene on my behalf, he hears those tears. He hears those cries, and they move his heart, and they move his power. And so I'm asking you, King's Church, like, hear me today. Like, take your place in the place of prayer. And some of you are like, I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to cry? Some of you are like, I don't know how to cry. Do you, do you know how to kneel? Do you know how to lift your hands? God will meet you in that place if you will humble yourself and cry out. Here's what I want to do. I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you. I'm going to pray two things. Here's a prayer I want you to pray over yourself. Even this week, God, awaken me to my desperate need to pray. Forgive me of my self-sufficiency or apathy and empower me to seek you to do what only you can do. Lord, burst the bubbles of our delusion and self-sufficiency in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Burst the bubbles of our delusions and self-sufficiency. Remove us from the comfort of our affluence that we would realize we need awakening in this region. Amen. Here's what I want to pray. I want to pray that God would stir up our hearts to contend. Listen, dad, mom, you know, I could pray with you and we'll invite you to do that here in a second, but the most powerful prayers, the most powerful tears will be yours for those kids and for this region. I'm going to pray that God awakens us to our role to pray. I want to pray that God makes this church a praying church like never before. And then along with that, we're going to take the last three minutes together and we're going to contend for our region. Can you do that with me? Come on, somebody. I got, I got three people that are going to pray with me. Let's pray for our region. So, Father, right now, find a posture. Find a posture one step beyond comfort. Whatever is slightly uncomfortable for you, do it. Raise your hands, kneel, whatever you got to do. Come on. Move. So, Father, we come to you right now, and we just cry out, and we say, God, would you... Uh, would you just awaken us right now? We confess right now that we, we got a little bit of the church of Laodicea in us that says we are rich and we need nothing. No, God, we recognize our nakedness, our barrenness, and our need. 
And so, Father, we turn to you and we buy from you gold refined in the fire. Lord, would you, would you awaken our hearts right now as your people to be people of prayer? Forgive us of our delusion. Forgive us of our self-sufficiency. Forgive us for looking to Apple or the conservative party or the liberal party or whatever for solutions that only you can provide, Father. And we turn our hearts to you. And God, I pray right now, would you awaken the muscle to go to war in prayer in this church in Jesus' name? Do it for us individually. God, I pray for the one who's been shuttered and muzzled in the place of prayer. I, I, I pray in Jesus' name, remove the inability to speak out the word of God. Remove the inability to contend and wake us up, Father, to contend in the secret place, I pray in Jesus' name. And now, Father, we lift Atlantic Canada before you. And God, I pray that you would deposit a hunger for awakening in us like never before. And we just confess that what New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and PEI and Newfoundland and this whole nation from sea to sea needs is a vast sweeping move of your spirit. Lord, we will not settle for a change of parliament. We want changed hearts and changed minds. We ask, God, that you would move in such a way that it literally turns schools on their head, Father. We pray right now for our schools and for the ideas and ideologies that have been taking root and residence in a generation, leading them to suicide and depression and anxiety and addiction. We say the devil is a liar, and we ask in the name of Jesus that there would be a move of the Spirit happen in this hour that pulls down every stronghold and pretension that blocks the knowledge of God in our young people. We say in Jesus' name, we, we long to step into the moment of eureka moments for young people where they realize that Jesus is Lord, their addiction is not. And Jesus is Lord, their teacher is not. We pray for eureka moments, moments of revelation. We pray for Gen Z right now that this depressed and anxious and suicidal generation would come to know the Prince of Peace in Jesus' name. Father, we pray right now for every prodigal son and daughter in this house. Lord, we agree together with moms and dads, and we say that everything that God has deposited in their heart, and we just, we, God, we say you're a covenant-keeping God, and you said, Lord, that if we raise up a child in the way they should go, they will not depart from it. And Lord, we, we confess that we can't, as parents, do it perfectly, but Lord, we know the seed of the word is in their hearts, and we pray right now that this would be the season for prodigals, that the kingdom would burst forth in their hearts, and they would come and would, would repent and turn their lives back to you. Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that we would come into a day where every single church is busting at the seams with people coming in saying, what must I do to be saved? We ask and we cry for an awakening in this land in Jesus' name. Lord, we we. We pray the prayer of our forefathers in this country and we say, would you have dominion? Would you have dominion from sea to sea, from the East Coast to the West Coast, would this nation be known as a nation under Jesus Christ? Teach us to pray in this hour and help us with our unbelief. And we pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen. amen.